Zoe, come and join me for a second, mate. Why don't we uh, have a wee chat, and then you can explain to us uh, who you are before you start speaking. That would be good. There you go. Have a mic. Great. Um, hi, Zoe. Who are IJM? What is IJM? What does it stand for? Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Zoe. IJM stands for International Justice Mission, um, or yeah, IJM for short, and we are the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, um, but also work to combat different forms of violence. Lots of familiar faces here, um, so yeah, great to, be, great to be here from a church that has sent so many incredible champions and now colleagues, actually, to the IJM team, so yeah. Fantastic. And so, uh, what does IJM do? You just mentioned a little bit about slavery. Uh, I'd love to hear a sentence or two and uh, tell us what work does the IJM charity do? Yeah, so IJM across the world work to protect the world's poorest people from violence. Um, so that, lot, that often looks like combating modern slavery, but other forms of violence as well. So we're a global team of lawyers, of social workers, and undercover investigators, um, all Christians um, partnering to see an end to slavery in our lifetime. So Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And so who are you? What do you do with IJM? <laughs> Why are you stood here this afternoon? Why are you here? Yeah, um, <laughs> justify yourself. No, not really. I, I'm Zoe. I live in Edinburgh, in Portobello, near Ruth Quill. Where hey. is she? There she is. That's right. Hi, Ruth. Represent. <laughs> um, and I lead the work of IJM in Scotland. I have done... Of as of the past three weeks, so there you go. It's all, all it's going well then. Yeah, going really well. Right. Three weeks in, still alive, still standing. Um, I am originally from the Isle of Man, uh, where I grew up on a farming family there. I'll tell you a bit about them later on. And then moved to Edinburgh for university and then fell in love with Edinburgh. And here I am. Fantastic. And so last thing, and I'll get out of your way. Yeah, you yeah. say you work with Scotland. Um, what does your particular role look like? How do you Very spend your time? Question. Well, as of the past three weeks, it has been, basically it's helping people across Scotland work out what's in their hands and how they can use that to be part of the movement working to end slavery. So whether that's mobilizing churches like you guys, coming and chatting with you, whether that's working with students like the Just Love guys, um, whether that's working with our donors and supporters, it's basically a lot of coffee, a lot of chats, and trying to help people work out what this looks like for them. I mean, that sounds great. Yeah, Amazing. it's great. I'm just constantly caffeinated. <laughs> Wired. Great. So you'll speak really quick. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll get out of your hair. Um, why don't we, I know we don't normally clap the speakers oh, because wow. um, they're normally us, but Zoe seems nice. We welcome her. That'd be good. Go for it, mate. Thanks. Oh, I feel very welcomed. Um, yeah, so this afternoon, you're not going to be surprised to hear that I'm going to be speaking about justice. I was saying earlier that justice is literally our middle name. And Jim was joking, like, did you actually come up with the name International Justice Mission just so that you could say that? And I don't know, maybe we did. Who knows? Um, but I thought that would be a good place to start because we are passionate about seeing wrong things made right about seeing oppression relieved, about seeing injustice corrected. But I don't know about you, whenever I hear the word injustice, I so often just feel tired straight away and uh, feel this weariness because there's so much, there's so much injustice, there's so much darkness. And soon I'm going to be hitting you with some stories and with some statistics that some of them are really hard to get your head around. Um, 
If you're anything like me, it's easy to then feel this automatic need to fix it, this compulsion to be the end of whatever this problem is. I feel this burden on my own shoulders and it can become too overwhelming. Um, but my hope and my prayer in preparing for this afternoon was that actually as we encounter Jesus together and as we come before the God of justice whom all of this starts with, actually we'd be able to look at the darkness and know without feeling that weight that we're joyfully invited into what he's doing, not the other way around. We're invited into making wrong things right. We're invited into what God's work, his weight, knowing that in followers of Jesus, um, that is where refreshment lies, and that's where we're going to become, like him, people of justice. So I want to start by telling a story. Um, I think I've got a picture here of a castle. Anyone know what this castle is called? This is Castle Elmina, and it's a whitewashed stone building that has stood on the coast of Ghana since 1482. And it was built by the Portuguese for gold trading, but it was soon realized that it was more money in trading people. So it was captured by the Dutch and by the British, and it became a key part of the transatlantic slave trade. So captives from across Africa would arrive at this building to be held in dark dungeons, and they would cram a 1,000 people into a space that could barely fit 200 people. Cramped, filthy, disease-ridden, food-scarce, subjected to all kinds of torture and humiliation for up to three months before they were then shipped out to America and the Caribbean. And at the very center of this church, the focal point, center of this castle, the focal point was a church right in the middle. And this church existed so that life could carry on as normal for the governor of the castle, for families and for missionaries. And despite their mission to share Jesus with local people, the doors remained shut to those trapped just meters away. And during Sunday services, the congregation would sometimes be told to sing louder so as to cover the cries of the oppressed coming from below their very feet. They sang over cries for freedom, cries of mothers, of fathers, of children. And this story shakes me to the core because I believe it's a stark reminder that it's possible to spend a lot of time around Christians in church, singing songs whilst missing what God says is good. In the Old Testament, the prophet Micah says, he has shown you what is good. And this should automatically awaken us and have us on the end of the seats because it's God telling us what he likes. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Now, just before this really well-known verse, Micah asks, what sacrifice, what worship would best please you, Lord? Would it be my burnt offerings, thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, a firstborn child. I feel like if we were asking God that today, it might look slightly different offerings, but he's basically saying, what do you want from me, Lord? 
And God says, no, not your finest offerings. He wanted his people to be people who act justly, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with him. And when we see these times where God's people have failed to do what he say is good, I'm shaken because I believe we see the same story as here in Ilmina Castle, and potentially even here in 2022. I'm sure if you're sitting here today, at some point in your life, you will have encountered a situation of real injustice, a situation that has pained your heart, that has tempted you to just feel totally overwhelmed. And maybe that is just looking at the news anytime at the moment. Maybe that is speaking to a friend who's walking through something really dark. Or maybe that's something in your own story. Um, I mentioned before that I grew up on the Isle of Man. And before that, actually, I lived in St. Andrews. So from the age of, I think I was two, no, one, one till five, um, my dad was a teacher here. And I grew up in St. Andrews. And then moved, when we moved to the Isle of Man throughout this time, we often had people of various walks of life, wonderful people, but all people who'd experienced different situations of real injustice living with us. So situations completely ranged, but they were all unfair and felt dark. Often we felt totally hopeless and healing felt really far off and actually life just looked really messy. And there were times where it would have been much easier and much more convenient, much less painful to turn our heads and to sing louder over the injustice that we were feeling. Today, there are more people held in slavery than ever before, so more than during the entirety of the transatlantic slave trade. And one in four of those is a child. And this isn't a crime that just remains in Ghana or remains on the other side of the world. It's a crime that lingers in the clothing that we wear, in the, the coffee that we drink, the chocolate that we eat, the phones that we scroll on. And one day, I know that this will not be the case, that there will be perfect justice carried out by a perfect and holy God. But in the meantime, this evil is present in our world, and in looking at these passages, I simply don't believe it's an option for us as Christians to turn our heads and to sing louder. Justice isn't an optional extra, saved for the investigators and the lawyers and social workers of IJM, or your kind of tree-hugging, tie-dye-wearing, oat milk, latte-drinking just love Ruth Quill type person. <laughs> Apologies, she's really getting it today. It's because she's the only person I know whose name. <laughs> um, no, justice is at the very heart of God. And if we wanted to be followers of him, we've got to chase his heart. And this mandate isn't new. This isn't something that's just simply on trend in today's society. Throughout the Bible, the call to justice is clear. And if justice is so integral to the character of God, then we as the church get the unique privilege in leading the way. But it also means that we as a church can miss it. If we look at a second prophet, the prophet Amos, a shepherd told to go and prophesy to God's people as they were not following the ways of God and they were mistreating the poor for their own selfish needs. And he writes this, I hate, I despise your feasts. 
I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melodies of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll on like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God literally hated his Israel's feasts and offerings and songs. He hated their worship. Why? Because their religious practices had replaced their justice and their compassion towards the marginalized and the poor. They were singing over the cries of the oppressed. If there's no justice, our songs, our assemblies, and our worship are actually displeasing to God. They were giving their finest dances, their finest flag waving, whatever your worship style of choice, um, but they were not following his ways, so he took no delight in them. Rather, he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-flowing stream. In the Old Testament, justice is the second most talked about theme after idolatry. And then we get to the New Testament and one in every 16 verses speaks about justice. In Matthew, it is one in every 10. No, yeah, in Matthew and Mark, it's one in every 10. And in Luke, it is one in every seven verses. So I think we can agree this isn't an optional extra. And justice means to make right. To make right, it's a relational word, to make right people living in relationship with God, people living in relationship with each other, and people living in relationship with the world. And it is God who defines and sets that standard for justice. Without him, there's nothing to kind of base our moral compass on. He is due north, and I find that utterly freeing because to pursue justice is to pursue him and what he says. To pursue God's way of making, making right what was wrong. And so we continue to just look at scripture to see what God says is right. In Psalm 82 verse 3 he says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. We join him in fighting for the fatherless, for the oppressed, and not stopping until oppression is corrected. Not stopping until impossible statistics are turned around. Refusing to sing over the fact that there are 40 million people in slavery today. And it's only because Jesus and his work on the cross that we can do that. That we are free to join him in being people of justice, people of compassion, helping them, hope, helping those who are most overlooked. Without him, I don't believe we're any better than those singing in Castle Elmina. You know the state of your own heart. I know the state of my own heart. Pretty wretched at times, selfish. But Jesus hung there and he paid for every proud thought and every bad decision, every addiction, every insecurity. 
When we say yes to him, we say yes to freedom from all those things. And then when he defeated death, he overcame it all so that we could stand in front of him, holy and perfect, covered by him, freed from sin, made clean, welcomed into the family business of seeking justice, welcomed into becoming more and more like him. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, if you're in this room and you're like, I'm really not where she's talking about. I'm way too far gone. I'm like past Castle Emlina and, and, and you, don't know, you don't know my story. I want to say that no one is too far gone for Jesus. But also, no one is enough without him. Maybe you feel on the other side of the spectrum and you think, actually, I'm pretty good. Like, I go to Just Love. I give to a couple of charities. Like, I'm doing well. Um, no one is enough without him. But he is fighting for you. He's calling you back. That's the story of all these prophets. God continuing to call his people back to his heart for justice. And then in Luke, we come and Jesus announces publicly the reason for his ministry. So this is basically him grabbing the microphone and saying, this is what I am all about. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is proclaiming good news, freedom for the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. He's announcing that this news is for all. And then throughout the life of Jesus, we see him drawing closer and closer to those who are marginalized in society, to the most vulnerable. And today, poverty leaves billions of people vulnerable. Without the basic protection of the law that a lot of you and I would just rely on as a given. And in an area of poverty, whilst the wealthy can pay for private protection, it is the world's poorest that are left vulnerable to violence. If we think back to even to Foley's story, it was only possible for him to have been tricked and trafficked to Lake Volta because he was initially in a situation of desperation and poverty when his grandfather fell sick. It was only possible for him to be held in the fishing industry year upon year because there were gaps in the local justice system. When we look at Jesus, his arrival ushers in this ministry which focuses on the most vulnerable in society. And IJM's mission is an extension of this. It is, we're motivated by this biblical mandate to act justly. And so we protect people in poverty from violence by partnering with local authorities like the police to rescue people like Foley and to walk with them on their restoration journey. We work with local courts to hold perpetrators like his uncle to account. And to date, we've seen more than 66,000 people like Foley brought into safety. 66,000 stories like Foley's. This is God's people who are doing it. God is going to have his justice. 
the kingdom of God is already at hand and his freedom story continues to be written as he calls each of us totally imperfect people who no matter how far we wander from his work for justice, he keeps on calling us back to make wrong things right. And if we look at the life of Jesus, I'm afraid to say this is going to look a bit messy. It's going to look like letting this injustice up close and personal. It's going to look like letting it break our hearts and sacrificially and persistently loving people. Um, I began by speaking a little bit about my family in the Isle of Man. And my parents are my like total superstar heroes that I would love to be a fraction of them one day. Um, but they are people with every ounce of their being. They love mercy. I long for my story to have the same mark, but I think you can romanticize what that looks like into kind of a one sentence before and after testimony of kind of um, people opening up their home. We had some nice dinners together, healing, transformation, and actually skipping over the slog of what that can look like on an everyday basis. The truth is it can involve a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of three steps forward, two steps back a whole lot of chipping away and loving people for a long time. And I'm sure that is something you guys as the church have experienced. The cost involved with getting up close and personal with suffering. If you drive up our lane on our farm, you'll see there are lots and lots of trees either side. But that didn't used to be the case. My great uncle was a passionate conservationist. So he would plant this diverse range of trees along the lane knowing that in 20, 30, 40 years, they would grow. He planted them not expecting it to be a quick fix, but long work as he just continued to show up and see them grow. Gary Haugen, I think we've got a quote here, yeah. Gary Haugen, the CEO and the founder of IJM, says this. He says, the victims of injustice in our world do not need our spasms of passion. They need our long obedience in the same direction, our legs and our lungs of endurance, and we need sturdy, sturdy stores of joy. As we reflect on a world with so much need, I know that I can do mercy, but I think loving mercy is more difficult. I can do those one-off acts, those occasional merciful gestures, but loving mercy, it requires something deeper in me. It demands something of me to give of myself to others. When talking about worship, Paul, later in the letter, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then in later unpacking what this living sacrifice, this worship, this love in action looks like, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. All of this language, this is justice. This is worship. And there's a persistence to it, isn't there? Devote yourselves to love. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Practice hospitality. Letting the injustice in close. Now, joining God in what he's doing is never promised to be easy. But I want to say that it's so worth it. That he's so worth giving all of ourselves to. Seeing his breakthrough, seeing Foley play football, seeing him party with his brothers and sisters, his cousins, finish school, seeing light in the darkness is so worth it. Because God is asking us to love mercy, not to do acts of mercy. God is inviting us not to love a nameless person or a, a nameless statistic. He's calling us to love people like he loves people, to treat them with dignity. To love is to be compassionate, to serve each other, to say we're in this together, we're family. I don't know very much Latin, but one word I do know <laughs> is the word compassion means to, I haven't actually even got, I don't know what the actual word is. What is the Latin word for compassion? Any, so I feel like there's some St. Andrew's scholars in the room, probably. Anyway, one, one for revision, post-church. Post um, but the word compassion means to suffer with. We encounter one another's suffering. And as God entered into our suffering, he now invites us to join him in entering into the suffering of others and in entering into the suffering of the world with deep compassion. I'm probably biased, but I believe I have the most incredible colleagues in the world. Um, right now, our IGM teams are engaging in about 20 countries around the world. And they're taking on cases of violent, violent, dark oppression where abuse is out of control. But my colleagues, lawyers, investigators, social workers are showing up every day to give of themselves because justice needs to be fought for for boys on lakes, for families in brick kilns, for girls in brothels. Every day they're not found a day that they are abused. And what I love about my colleagues is the way that they joyfully enter into such darkness, the posture in which they hold themselves of such hope, such faith, such belief, such resilience, keeping going, keeping fighting, keeping loving. A picture of what this looks like um, is my colleagues not stopping for two days to locate a group of children on Lake Volta because they'd been heard, this, the slave masters, they had been given a tip off, so they'd moved the children to a more remote part of the lake. So our colleagues didn't stop for two days until they found them. They, they were unrelenting. They eventually found them and they pursued justice no matter the cost. And a picture of what this looks like is this here. When they were eventually found, they were brought onto a safety boat and they were told they were safe and they were given a life jacket, which kind of seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? After years and years of being held on a, on a boat and, and they survived, they were, they were fine. They, well, they weren't fine. They survived. They didn't drown. 
And the first thing they've done is they're given a life jacket. And I just love this symbol because I believe it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, of being covered, of being rescued, being surrounded, not letting us drown in our sin and in our darkness and in our selfishness, but being pursued and being pulled out, rescued into new life. Now, in the room, we're not all going to be IJM undercover investigators or social workers or lawyers, although some of you might be. Feel free to chat to me afterwards if you're interested. Um, but I wonder today, who is God speaking to you about? What situation of justice is he asking you to persevere in? Where are you being called to let the injustice in up close and personal? For some of you, I know that this particular issue of slavery is one you feel called to. For others, maybe you are really wrestling with loneliness or addictions. Maybe it's the persecuted church, adoption, racial justice, the refugee. There's, there's so much to be passionate about. What is God? Where is God inviting you to love mercy? And before you kind of get your notebooks out and make a 10-point plan as to how you're going to fix the world, um, we need to stop and we need to look at the how because uh, we're, if you're anything like me, you'll be familiar with how that ends. It starts with kind of like, go get them, I'm going to fix this. And it ends with weariness and hopelessness and turning our heads and singing louder because it's overwhelming and it's too much. But as we've seen, justice starts and ends with Jesus. So why on earth would we try and act justly and love mercy without the power and the presence of the God of justice? Yes, we act justly. Yes, we love mercy. But we do it through humbly walking with Jesus. At IJM, we truly believe that the work of justice begins at the feet of the God of justice. And so we take this call to pray really seriously to the extent that for an hour of my time a day, my paid time a day, I am contracted to pray. So from nine till half past nine and 12.30 till one, globally, when we could be on the front line rescuing children like Foley, we are not. We're stopping and we're coming before God. We pray for rescues and raids happening that day, for divine favor with wisdoms, divine favor and wisdom with governments, for the healing of our clients, for provision of resources, recognizing the desperate, desperate need for God to come before us. And to the business-minded of you in the room, this could seem utterly ridiculous. It's about 1,500 staff members around the world. So this works out as about 400,000 paid hours a year when we could be on the front line and instead we're doing nothing. But I believe it's our most precious investment because if I know, I know that if we have any chance of ending slavery for good, we need the power and we need the presence of God to go before us. And I'd love to invite you, every person in this room, to join us in this prayer movement in recognizing our own 
desperate need for the power and presence of God. And I've put some weave forms out just at the foyer here. And if you would like to partner with us and receive an email of urgent um, prayer needs every two weeks, um, I'd love to invite you to do that with us. Because we join God in what he's doing, the freedom story that he's writing, not the other way around. And as we begin to face into injustice, it will become very easy and very tempting to want to default to our own strength, to our own striving. But it's just not sustainable. We will burn out. We're not enough. Only Jesus is. And this, if I'm being honest, is something I really struggle with. Um, Amid the pain and the suffering, the more that there is to do, the more intense the need, I want to default deeper and deeper into Zoe mode, into like running harder, writing longer to-do lists, only to eventually be brought to my knees because my shoulders weren't designed to carry it. To attempt the work of justice is to rob those we serve of the power and the presence of God when we do it alone. So we look at how Jesus did it, and when we see that amid the more and the many, as the crowds got bigger and the needs got bigger, he didn't simply run harder and respond to every person he needed, every person who requested him. He actually retreated further and further into the Father. In Luke, we hear he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Yes, he let the injustice in close, and he surrounded himself with the marginalized and the oppressed. But he always did it from the overflow of his relationship with the Father. So as I begin to finish, I want to go back to this quote that I shared from Gary Haugen. The victims of injustice in our world do not need our spasms of passion. They need long obedience in the same direction. Our legs and our lungs of endurance and sturdy stores of joy. This perseverance, this sturdy stores of joy required to see 40 million held in slavery, living in freedom, is not going to happen by you or me just running harder and trying harder. It's going to need a movement of people dependent on the God of justice and partnering with him. And right at the beginning, Micah gives us this hint. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Today, the church in Ghana is a force to be reckoned with, and it's becoming a nation determined and passionate to see an end to child trafficking as they declare new songs of freedom over their nation. A movement and followers of Jesus who face into the darkness, recognize it for what it is, and they shine light into the darkness by partnering with God. And today here, we join them in refusing to sing louder over the cries of freedom. And this is something as a church that you're already doing. You're already on this journey. Refusing the temptation to be overwhelmed and rather letting the injustice in close and personal and interceding for freedom, entering this long work of justice, always out of friendship with Jesus. I wonder if we could all, if you're able, if we could stand together. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment. God is a God of justice. You were each made in his image. So we as a church get this unique privilege to lead the way in this. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that the largest anti-slavery organization are a movement of Christians on their knees praying every day. So I'm going to pray for us now as we wait upon him. And I'd encourage you to just ask in your own space, how, God, are you inviting me to act justly? To love mercy, to walk humbly. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this space now. And we ask that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Would you help us persist? Would you help us love mercy in the places that we've lost hope, in the places where we feel weary? Holy Spirit, would you help us to love mercy? Father, where the call just feels too big and too overwhelming, would you take that weight even now? Would you just change the posture of our shoulders as you take the weight of that unto yourself. Father, would you show us where you've put us, the injustices you're calling us to stand against. And we just declare together light into the darkness. And we come before you as your vessels. We listen to you, we tune into you, and we join you in what you're doing. Amen.